Coming up on the Creativity in Motion podcast, we talk with Nashville entertainer Vince Moreno. I always try to push myself creatively, like, what can I do next? What can I do? What can I do that nobody else is doing right now? Here we go. Hi, my name is Chris Hollow. And I'm Mark Mosry. This is episode number six of Creativity in Motion, a podcast about creativity where we talk with creatives of all kinds to find out why they create and especially how they use creativity to overcome obstacles. In this episode, we'll be talking with singer-songwriter Vince Moretto about the ups and downs of promoting yourself in the music business. Before we have our conversation with Vince, I need to tell you about our sponsor, NOSI College of Art. NOSI College opened in 1973 as a fine arts school and has transformed into Tennessee's only private art college. They offer bachelor's degree programs in commercial illustration, graphic design, video and film, and photography. Starting in September 2021, they will begin offering a brand new culinary arts associate's degree. They have a beautiful 55,000 square foot facility that was built with the artistic student in mind. It includes computer labs, production suites, photography and video studios, and a fully stocked equipment cage. Everything students need to get creative. To learn more about NOSI College of Art, you can visit nosi.edu. That's N-O-S-S-I dot E-D-U, where you can see degree program details, faculty information, and samples of student work. And today we're talking with Vince Moreno, who started playing in bars at a really early age and never really grew out of it. <laughs> Welcome. I'm to the still show. early. I'm still at a young age, though. Ain't I? Welcome, welcome to the show, Vince. Yes, you're Thanks. still young. Thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure. It's an honor. Thank you. So give us a little little background on Vince Miranda. Like, where'd you come from and how'd you get here? Well, I was born and raised in a small little ranching farming community in, in Arizona uh, by the name of Wilcox, Arizona is the name of the town. And it's pretty much known for um, the old uh, silver screen movie star Rex Allen is was from there. So... You know, they had Rex Allen days, you know, every town's got their celebration every year. They had Rex Allen days there every year, and that's a big deal for the whole week. But anyway, I was born and raised there, and uh, I started playing guitar just at home. And uh, when I was, I think, about eight or so, my mom used to sing in the church choir there, which is actually, was actually, a, it was called the mariachi choir, but it wasn't really mariachis. It was me and another older guy playing guitar and all these ladies singing basically, um, church songs in Spanish. So it wasn't really mariachis, but that's what they called it. Anyway, the, the guy that was playing there, my mom um, had was talking to him one day and he said, Hey, would, would Vince like to play guitar? And I was so shy back then, especially growing up Catholic. It's like, you're scared to do anything in church, you know? So uh, she said, uh, or he said, you know, would he like to, you know, come play with us? And she said, yeah, it'd be great. And I was scared out of my mind. You know, I didn't, I was like, sure. So I started doing that. And um, he actually had a, a Tejano band. It was not called Tejano back then. It was just called, Mexican music as far as I know, <laughs> but, but he, uh, he pulled me into that thing. And we, so then I started playing in, in his band and, um, you know, like Alks clubs and VFWs and the little, the little bars around town there and around the surra surrounding areas. So start and, and, uh, during that time, I was also kind of tinkering with, with piano and drums and bass and all of these other instruments. So, uh, I played with him for quite a few years. And then, um, some of the other like country bands that were around town, 
they came out and saw us and, and it was, you know, it's like when you see the kid out there, that's kind of the whole catch, you know, when, when people come out and say, Oh, Oh, he's got, they got a kid up there playing. Oh. So they were like, so then everybody was like, Hey, can he come play with us? You know? So they asked my parents. So they were pimping me out for a while. And uh, <laughs> so I started playing in country mans. And then it, what's funny is the town that I'm in is so small that uh, when one of the guys would, you know, they, they'd get an argument and some guy would leave the band and then they'd call me like, They'd call my dad and be like, hey, does Vince know how to play bass? And he's like, I don't know, I guess we'll find out. And we'd go get a bass. And so I'd start playing with them guys. And then another band would, same thing would happen. Hey, does, it, does he play keys, you know? And so that's kind of how I learned how to play all these different instruments is by other guys quitting, I guess, a bunch of quitters. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, it was great for me. To, and it worked out for me to uh, to where I'm at now to, you know, if guys call, it's the same thing. If guys, if artists call, Hey, can you come do a guitar gig or, or you know, a keys gig or bass or whatever? So it's it's uh, that's pretty much what uh, got me where I am now as as far as learning the different instruments and stuff like that. And then it's funny I didn't start singing until later on. I was in high school and out in public anyway, and uh, at a at a high school assembly one time, the fiddle player that I was playing with it was just me and him, and he was like the the local favorite, you know, and and, and he was wanting all these uh, old time fiddling contests and stuff like that, but. So everybody, he came out and he starts singing. And I think the song was was Much Too Young by, by Garth Brooks. And so in the beginning, he started singing, but then the second verse comes in with fiddle or something like that. So so I, I swapped and started singing. And like the whole, uh, what do you call it, the whole assembly place, like just got really quiet. And I was like, oh, no, this is bad. I'm not doing good at this at all. You know? And then afterwards, they started screaming. And then next thing you know, I wasn't the, the kid who got beat up anymore. I was the cool kid in class. So. So then I started singing, you know, mostly in the bars and stuff. Then now it's kind of got to where, uh, well, then it grew into, I was the front guy and I was the lead singer. And then I just started doing my own band and people got to quit from my band and then I'd hired the guy. So <laughs> that's, that's pretty much the rundown of it. But, um, I moved to Nashville and I guess it's been 10 years now. And the funny part of it was every time I'd come here, uh, before that I would always visit and, and I always get the nose or I always get turned down or rejected or, or I'd meet the songwriters and they'd say, uh, Hey, when you're in town or, or let's meet up thinking that I lived here. And I was like, well, I won't be in town for another month. And then, Oh, they're like, well, just call me. So like oh, two weeks later I'd talk, call them and they'd be like, who's this, you know? So I was like, man, I'll never move there. I don't even want to ever go to that town, but just worked out and it's been the best move I've ever made. And sometimes timing is everything. So, you know, if I would have moved here when I was younger, I don't know if that would have played out as, as good as it has now. I don't know, but but it's been great so far, and and now I'm here talking with you guys and the big timers. You've made it. Yeah, I've made it. I can just move back to Arizona now. <laughs> it's all downhill from here. Yeah. Oh no! Oh no! You've Hopefully had, not. You've had your own podcast though. Also, I mean, you've 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 dabbled in this too. Yeah, it's funny. I started working with this uh, comedian guy, and and uh, he had a podcast, and I was like, you know what? I just one day was going, oh, that'd be kind of fun. He had me on his podcast, and. I was like, this would be kind of fun, you know? And so I started one up called Music and Memories, and it was basically just uh, anybody in the music business as far as, uh, you know, lighting directors or, or stagehands, bus drivers, artists, musicians, all kind of about that. Man, there's, if there's not stories there that people want to hear, I've done quite a few of them. Kind of, uh, COVID kind of put a halt to it for a little while, but I'm going to start getting back into it again And now that people are kind of easing up on, on uh, wanting to get together and, you know, and, and hanging out, so... So yeah, it's been actually pretty fun to to interview people and just basically talk. You just chat, you know, and then you get done like an hour or whatever later. And people are like, "Oh, that was great!" You know, it was a cool story. I was like, "Okay, good," because I'm tired of talking. No, <laughs> but yeah, they've been really fun. And uh, 
when you, you know, like people are driving down the road or they're sitting at work or whatever, they just put the podcasts on, you know, and I never was a big podcast listener until I started doing them. And I go, oh, okay. Like I get it now, you know? Mm-hmm. So when you were starting out on uh, just picking up instruments and, uh, you know, you started with a guitar, you, I'm sure you had people whose music you liked. You would listen yeah. to someone and you say, I want to play like that, or I want to play like this person. How, you know, who were some of those people and how was it trying to learn how to imitate that sound? You know, it's really funny that you asked that because most guitar players or most, you know, whoever, whatever instrument they play, they have somebody like an icon that they just want to play exactly like, like, you know, um, Steve Ray Vaughan or, you know, some guys like Eric Clapton or whatever. And it was funny because I never knew back then that I was really more of a singer, I think. And I still think of that of myself as that today. But so I never really had any, but I never picked up anybody like Chet Atkins or, or anybody like that because I grew up with so much different styles of music in my home that I never really was just focused on um, like, oh, I want to play guitar just like that guy. And then also I was jumping over on piano, you know, so I was, I never really focused on one thing, which I, I wish I would have, cause then I'd be better than I am. And I, you know, it's like I average it at all of them, but I never really had a hero until, um, like I started listening to Steve Ray Vaughan. I was like, okay, I want to do that sound. But now, I mean, I'm more of a, of a chicken picker is what they call it, you know, a country player. So I guess you could say Brent Mason, but I, I never really, I never really focused on that. I was always just focused on the music of it all. And I, and it, you know, what's funny is I was so, what's the word? Um, dumb, I guess when I was young, because I didn't know the different styles of guitars. I didn't know like that the Strat made a different sound until I heard a guy when I think I might've been 12 or something. And this guy brought a Strat and I was like, how are you getting that sound? What is that? How are you doing that? Cause they have a, you know, a certain specific tone to them and stuff. And he's like, well, it's just, what do you mean? It's like, it's, it's a strat, you know? And I was like, I love that. I've, I've always heard that like um, um, Steve Warner and guys like that were playing it. And I was like, how do you get that sound? And I was playing a telly, you know, the whole time trying to accomplish that. And so I was, I just didn't know. I just was country. You were a country singer. So you were playing a telly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny because the first guitar my dad bought me was kind of like a Les Paul knockoff. And I was playing that, you know, not knowing that I needed the twang out of a telly, you know? So like, like I said, I just, I didn't grow up with anybody really showing me that stuff until later on in life, I was a late bloomer. And then I started going, oh, this guy plays like that. And that guy plays like that, you know? So I guess it's hard to narrow that down. That question is a hard one for me because I, I never really uh, focused on the instrumentalist. I guess I was more of a, I was listening more to the singer. And then I was just, oh, I'll just learn the chords of this song. I just learned um, how this song goes, not so much what kind of tone are they getting out of it, you know? So I, yeah, I just... What about singers? Singers was always, um, Haggard was one of the big ones for me, Merle Haggard. Um, but like I said, I, I've listened to so many different people. Like actually, Engelbert Herpertink is, is another great singer. I just Anybody who's a great singer is a great vocalist. I, I just, uh, George Jones, Merle Haggard was probably my, my, probably my favorite. Um, Mel Tillis, a lot of the old country guys. But I mean, like Neil Diamond, I grew up listening to that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, I got a wide variety. I mean, I listen to metal too, so... I try to take a little bit of, of all that stuff and put it together, you know, because there's a good singer is a good singer, whether they're screaming or rapping or not. I mean, you know, really, honestly. I remember my dad would put Neil Diamond on, and I mean, I'm I'm 10 years old. Yeah. But something about Hot August Night would just, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I couldn't understand why 
it got under my skin yeah. or it animated me. It, it did. It animated me whenever that would come on. Yeah. Especially the live, you know, the live concert is a two, it was a two disc album and I just would, it just put me there right. for some reason. And I'm, I'm just, I'm still a huge Neil Diamond fan. Yeah. I mean, love on the rocks was like that for me. Oh. Like I'd hear it. And I just saw the musicality in it and I go, wow. You know, it's just, it, it does. And that's what, that's the thing. It's like, um, any stuff that moved me, that's what I would pivot to. But but then, like, my mom would put on a Herp Albert album, you know, and yeah. I'd listen to that all day. And then next thing you know, she'd have traditional music on. Then on Sundays, my, my dad would be playing, um, like, the old Mexican music, you know, that I was growing up with. And so just all these different guys. Little Joe was one of the Mexican singers. And then, um, like I was saying, Neil Diamond. And then, like, Earth, Wind & Fire, those just all that kind of stuff. Anybody who could sing their butts off, that was, I was a fan of that, you know, so... Today's music, not so much. No, just, <laughs> we'll get on. That's another podcast. <laughs> yeah, we got to watch our step. We all work in the business, so it's hard to it's hard to believe. I mean, you have to remind yourself that twenty five years from now, people are going to be talking about today's music mm. the are same they? way that we. You know that they are because it's happened to every single generation. Yeah, and and it's if you think about it like that, then you maybe that can help you gain some access in today's, into today's music yeah. and try and try and imagine what it must sound like through that person's ears. Right. You know, who's having, who, who's being impacted by that music that way. Right. And then imagine 25, 30 years from now, how nostalgic they're going to be for that. And, and, you know, it's, it's really remarkable when you, when you think about it. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're, it's great that you like all different kinds of music because then you can incorporate that when you start creating your sound, you have all of this kind of raw material to pull from. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I have a, a buddy of mine that's always sending me like some of the newer stuff. He's always sending me a song like, Hey, what do you think of this one? Cause you know, he knows how kind of, you know, like, like when I play my music, it's pretty much traditional country, the old stuff. So he'll send me something. I'm like, um, is this a joke? Are you wanting me to? Or, or did you like this? You know, and, he's, and the, uh, yesterday he sent me this one, you know, song and, and uh, I said, oh, ouch. And he's like, oh, I, I really liked it. You know, I'm like, oh, okay. Sorry. Um, I thought it was awful, but it, it was, it was a guy trying to be really country, you know, and it was just overdone. You know, it was trying to be like George Jones, but I thought it was a mockery thing, but all the other stuff he sends me is like the newer country, you know, coming out and, and it's stuff that he likes. And I, and, and I try to be open-minded because it's exactly like you just said, this younger generation is listening to this stuff now. And there are songs that move them. There are songs that hit them and impact them that I think are not that great, you know, and they'll be sitting around in, in another, like you said, 20, 25 years going, you know, man, that Luke Bryan song just really took me back or whatever. And, and, and right now I'm going, you know, <laughs> just like your parents did for the stuff that was moving you. Right. And my parents did for the stuff that was moving me. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I guess it's generational, but, but it's, it's really cool when, when younger people come like downtown, when I play Broadway or whatever, they come down and, and they want to hear all the old stuff. You know, I think that's really cool too. Cause, and, and like my kids, they know when the George Jones song comes on, they know that. And they know it's, it's kind of like I've, I've brought them up the same way my parents did. They, they don't listen to, they listen to their own stuff now, but they can recognize another song. If that comes on, they're not like, who's this, you know, and it's an old country song or, you know, it's funny. Like, like if I were to put Neil Diamond on, they'd probably go, what are you listening to? You know, <laughs> but then I would tell them and the next time they heard it, they know, you know? So yeah, that's the cool thing about music though. It's so universal that, I mean, even one song from somebody that nobody would ever think of would hit them, hits them, you know, and they go, 
but they're a closet listener. They don't want, <laughs> they don't want their friends to know they heard it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, let's talk about playing downtown because, um, I've shot a ton of artists and, a lot of them. Jeez, you didn't go right. to jail for it, did you? I <laughs> know. You know, side story. My nephew, when he was about, I don't know, 10, 12, we were at some, uh, my wife's family, we were at some Christmas dinner or something. Uh-huh. And I, somebody brought up, hey, who have you been working with lately? I said, well, I shot so-and-so. <laughs> and, this, and this kid, he's now 33 or something, you could see his face. And he had been hearing all along that I shoot people. Yeah. <laughs> And that moment when he figured out, oh, you're a photographer. <laughs> Christmas dinner changed. Like, it was a whole different thing. Oh, yeah, when, it was a different once, vibe for Once him. he realized I was not a hitman. Yeah, he's probably thinking, wow, the crime is really high and really hard downtown. <laughs> he probably thought I was a badass. He's shooting people every week. That's right. <laughs> then he had to go to his friends and say, you know my uncle who yeah. I told you, been telling you all these cool stories yeah. about? Yeah. It's oh, just man. pictures. Yeah. What a letdown. Yeah. He's still a badass hitman. He <laughs> yeah. probably wouldn't admit to it. That's funny. But as far as playing downtown, mm-hmm. I mean, I've shot a bunch of people that look like the part. They even sound like the part, but they don't know how to engage an audience. They don't sure. know how to yeah. how to communicate with an audience and get them to communicate back with you. Yeah. And I've heard you mention before on your own podcast, in fact, you uh, interviewed Neil McCoy. Right. Um, and you gave him credit for being the person that showed you how to communicate with an audience. Right. Um, one of the people, when I first saw Chris Jansen play, the first thing I thought was, now that's a guy who knows how to play for tips. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And I feel like you're the same way. Yeah, it's it doesn't hurt to know how to do that for sure. Because I mean, you need to interact with people to, to, to get tips downtown, you know? And it was really funny because when I moved here, well, like I said, I used to visit town all the time and I never, never had to really play for tips. We always had a, you know, it was always a paid thing where I'm, where I'm from. So, and then I, I grew up most of my life was playing a house gig in Arizona five nights a week. You leave all your gear set up, you walk in. Sometimes I leave my guitar there for a week. You know, I'd never even take it home, change strings or whatever. But so in that sense, I was really spoiled as far as like, I didn't have to. It's not like, like you, you don't care, but you, you also get spoiled where um, you almost take advantage of the fact that that you know people are going to be there every night. You know you're going to get paid every night. And when you're working for tips downtown or, or anywhere, when you're working for tips, you almost have to pay attention a little closer to, to the people that are there and, and actually give a shit a little more. Because if you don't, the, the tip truck's not going to get filled. And, and then where are you? You know, so, yeah, that's, that's definitely a big thing. Um, and, there, and you're right. There's a lot of guys that they can do it all except for keep a crowd's attention and – it, it doesn't hurt to practice, I guess, you know, um, maybe if they had to play for tips sometime, it, it might help. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. It's not the A&R department that's kicked them out in front of an audience. Exactly. It's, it's yeah. you're, you're trying to feed your family and that's a whole different, right. whole different thing. You know, f- uh, fear of failure is real. Like, <laughs> yeah. And you don't bring money home. And it, it's crazy. Cause I've talked to some of the artists I've worked for. And I'm like, did you grow up? And they're like, I never played a bar in my life. I, I went from doing this and this and this to, you know, I got a, a writing deal and then I got a record deal and then started playing. So their first idea of playing for crowds is like I'm saying, like, you know, I just got shot up into playing, uh, you know, uh, the house the house club thing. So, oh, there was people going to be there, people every night. And these guys got got put into festivals and, and these bigger venues, and they're like, oh, well, this, the crowd's going to be here. I don't have to worry about it, you know. That's well, the way it is. Well, it, and in Nashville, crazy. in Nashville, it's like the people that are downtown at the bar, listening to music might be the third or fourth reason why they're down there. That's sad. It could be true. drinking. It could be eating, could mm-hmm. be hanging with friends, then music. Oh, I tell people all the time, Hey, thanks for driving on the Nashville to get on your phone. I guess the reception's better here. You know, 
And it's crazy because after COVID, we opened back up. People are still doing it. You know, like I'm like, okay, so you guys were whining for a whole year that there was no live music and nothing to do. And then you come back out and then we're sitting here singing to you and you're on your phone. So, right. <laughs> and that even, but that, that even makes it more important for you to be able to communicate with them. And it's a challenge, and but, but it, I love that. It's I a skill it. set. Uh, yeah. I love a challenge like that. Cause then I go, if I can get them off their phone and pay attention to us, then, then uh, I feel even more accomplished than if the tip jar's full, to be honest with you. Well, and you even managed to do it during your Facebook live performances. <laughs> yeah. Because you've got a monitor set up where you can see who's watching. Yeah. And you communicate with them. I mean, you're, you're crowd, crowd surfing by yourself in your living room. It's, it's really <laughs> weird, but yeah, the, you know, people just love the fact of, oh, hey, John, thanks for coming on. You know, and I'm going to be in the middle of a song and I'll give a shout out. And they just love that. People love that interaction because think about it. When they're at a live show, these people can't just be commenting and talking to you the whole time like they're like they're commenting and saying things to you while you're going to Facebook Live and you're reading all that crap. Not crap, but I mean you're you're doing that and you're and you're still trying to sing and you're trying to do the camera angles and you're trying to see if the sound's right. I mean, you got ten things going on, you know? And so that's why I drink when I do them. I, I try to make it like a bar room and I'm drinking the whole time. And, you know, and if I miss somebody, I go, Hey, sorry I missed you, you know, but, but but yeah, people love the interaction on that too. And I watch other people that are going live and they're, they're sitting on their phone looking, you know, for a song to sing or what. And I try to take that same approach as if I'm sitting, if they're sitting in a bar and I'm sitting there. And so people text me all the time. They're going, Hey, we, we got you on the TV and we're dancing in the living room or dancing in the kitchen or whatever, you know, but, uh, it's like, you almost, almost like if you don't use it, you lose it. So I try to interact with them on the TV or on the, you know, Facebook too. So yeah, it's been pretty cool. Well, it's like you're uh, rubbing your belly and patting your head when you have oh. you have that many things going on, yeah. and you're trying to do a decent performance. Yeah, it's, for it's, people that are tuning in, the, the hardest thing for me is when I'm trying to read a uh, somebody's comment, and I'll be singing a line from a song, and they're and they're saying like, "Oh, the weather here," or "How's the weather there?" And I'm going, "And these two, oh, sunny, ah, dang it, that's not what I meant to say." You know, I'm busy so, here. Yeah, that's the weirdest thing, and I'll be like, "Oh shoot, I just screwed that up," but but people laugh, they they get it, you know. Right. And I've had guests come over sometimes, and and uh, so my wife usually watches it on her tablet, and then she'll uh, what do you call it? Screen share it to the TV in the living room. So we've had a few friends come over. Like if they come to town, and, and I didn't have a gig, I was like, well, just come to the house. I'll go Facebook Live, and you know, make a little money, and then you guys can you know hang out too. And so they're watching all this, and they're thinking that my wife's running the cameras and running the audio and all this stuff, and I'm sitting there with a the tablet doing it, you know, myself. And they're like, wait, he's doing that and singing and everything. And I'm like, yeah, that's why I'm over here sweating. <laughs> it's like a workout every day. But, but honestly, if I wasn't doing that, I probably would have lost my voice. You know what I mean? Because a lot of guys, are, they're like, oh, man, I can barely sing an hour now. And that's the one thing. Um, I had COVID early on last year in, um, in March. And after about two months of just not singing, I'm like, man, I got to start at least humming or something around the house. So I started doing these little, it's called the acapella app. And it was basically these people started doing a, a a thing where you could put uh, heads like different squares where you could put yourself in different squares and record different parts. And so you could do like, you know, uh, you could make yourself like a barbershop quartet or something. So I started doing those and then I took it to the next level and then I started putting instruments on it and other people just doing singing, you know, like um, acapella. But I started doing instruments and, and putting the, the, uh, the headphone mic, you know, down by the instrument or whatever. And then people just started interacting with those too. And there's like, hey, can you do this song and I'll send you the money? And I'm like, well, I'm not asking for money, but sure, I'll take it. We're <laughs> out of work and also. So just those little type of things like that, um, they kept me uh, singing. They kept me working. They kept me creative. That was the biggest thing. Like I need to, I always try to be, I always try to push myself creatively. Like what can I do next? What can I do? What can I do that nobody else is doing right now? 
And I'm always trying to think of ways to, to keep people's attention that way. Like, you know, for New Year's Eve, there was no bars open. It was restricted, everybody. So I thought, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get the band. We're going to do a Facebook Live, and we're going to do it for the midnight of each time zone. And people love that. And they're like, nobody else is doing that. But some people watch the whole four hours because we did each, you know. <laughs> they're, I was like, hey, you're not on that time zone. Get out of here. <laughs> but they were tipping, and they were interacting, and it, and it was fun by the – but the first hour, we're like, hey, welcome, everybody. And by the fourth, by the fourth hour, the last time, we're like, hey, you know, this is going to be the last one, you know, because we were drinking and stuff. But, man, it's just uh, uh, just trying to keep it fun and, and keep it creative, like you said. You know, I mean, this that's kind of the whole point of this podcast is to figure the creativity out, right? So, yeah, that's uh, one thing I'm always chasing. When you hit those, when you when you when you perceive that something needs to be done, like I got to step up my game, or I need to, I can't do the same old thing. I have to be get creative, like you just said. I have to get creative. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? Like, what's the, what's the, the the mechanics of that? How do you, how do you get creative? I honestly do not know because I'll be I'll be sitting. It'll be two in the morning. I'll just be sitting there on my laptop or something. And my wife wake up and be like, have you not been to bed yet? And I'm like, I, my mind's going like crazy. And I'll say, I think what I'm going to do, and I'll pop an idea off to her. And she'll be like, how did you come up with that? And I'm like, I don't know. I was just sitting here thinking, what can I do that I know I can pull off, you know, with the, either the equipment that I have or, or the abilities that I have. And then I go, and, and there's so many ideas that don't come to fruition because I don't have the know-how or whatever, you know, but, but I'll write them down and think, but I guess my mind is just always working. So I don't know where it comes from other than just the wheels are always turning. And and that just comes from ambition, I think. Um, and I think that if I was super, super successful, I don't know that I would, would, would be as, um, have like have that fire. I, I almost think that I'd be a little bit lazy, like, oh, well, I've got hit records. I don't really need to do anything. You know, that, uh, I, that made me think of one question uh, and then a thing I want to ask you, another question. So really two questions. Uh, I don't you, know how much time I got. When you, <laughs> if you're driving or if your mind's going all the time and you have an idea, let's say you're driving or let's say that you're occupied somehow, or maybe you're in the middle of performing and an idea hits you. Mm-hmm. How do you capture that? Do you just say, I'll write that down when I get home? Or do you, because I know you've, you've, you've maybe written down, some ideas right. and you've lost 10 times more because you didn't write them down. Right. But oh, are you a point now where you're like, Oh, I got to write that down. I'm going to forget that. There's some where I went, Oh, what was that thing I was thinking of yesterday? And I go, why did I write that down or, or whatever? But w- what's coming handy is um, there's a, you know, I have like a voice recorder on my phone and if it's a song idea or if it's even like a little comedy bit routine that I have, I'll just go ahead and, and say it. What, what, what sucks for me is most of the time that I come up with stuff, it's like, two or three in the morning when everybody's asleep. So it's not like I can just go making noise and start jamming out or whatever. Or, or like you said, when I'm driving, if I'm driving, I'll either try to tell somebody like my wife or something like, Hey, I've got this idea to do this. What do you, and I'll bounce it off her. What do you think? And she's a pretty good critic of me. So she'll be like, I'm not really sure if that'll like, how would you do that? Or how would you pull that off? So I'll usually try to talk about it with her. So, I, so that way I can go like, Hey, remember that thing I was telling you about? And a lot of times um, the voice recorder helps me out, but there's so many times when I'll be in the shower and I'll be humming something or thinking of a line and I'll jump out of the shower and try to jot it down. But by the time I get out of the shower to the time I dry off, it's gone. And that sucks. Cause I try to, th- I, th- I think, man, there's so many good ideas I had about a song or whatever. And then it just escaped me. So 
that's that's a that's a constant challenge definitely the other thing i thought of was when you were talking about having that house gig and you would just leave your gear set up and mm-hmm. you would just go home it and it struck me that well that's like a job suddenly that's just a job oh, very you know? much so and you know chris and i are in a similar gig based business where we're freelance artists we're photographers and if we have a job for the day, we have to load up all our gear. Mm-hmm. We do this all the time. We load up all our gear. We go to the location. We unload. We set up. We shoot all day. You tear it all down. You tear it all down. You <laughs> yeah. load it back up and you go back home. And no one ever sees that. No one nope. ever sees that work. No one yep. understands how how much work goes into the before you actually work. Yep. So before you sing and before you play and before we shoot, We've done a ton of work just to get to that point. Yeah. And there's this I this notion of a starving artist, you know, and yeah. someone who's working and suffering, right? Many times we're just like, oh my God, the sun's gone down or it's midnight and we're loading out. Sure. You're loading out. It's two in the morning. You're you're getting home. I've I've often wondered how much of a role that hard work, behind the scenes work, the drudgery you know, it's important because you love what you're doing and we love what we're doing. Um, but that, I believe that that actually plays a role in your ability to be creative and be authentic. Sure. It's the suffering. That's part of the suffering. You know, and, and also with that house gig, it was very stagnant. You become very stagnant. You know, it's Tuesday night. Um, Joe's going to come to table number two. He's going to wear her neon moon at 815. I mean, literally, <laughs> that's how, that's how much of a regular thing it was. And then, so like I said, you get spoiled, you get stagnant. The crowd also does too. They get spoiled in the fact that they know we got a great band. The club that I played at was one of the top ones in Tucson and you weren't allowed to suck. You know, you had to have good players and you had to be good. Um, I just never had to look. So that was always my, my challenge. But um, so we would always learn two new songs a week. We'd meet every like Wednesday and the during the day. So, that was one thing that was helpful for having everything set up. We'd, we'd, we'd learn two songs every week and then we'd try it out. You know, we'd play it that night and if people danced to it, cause it was a dance club, you know, back then. So if they two step or whatever else to it, then we'd, we'd keep it in the repertoire. I mean, we knew every song. If it was at, at number 50 on the billboard, we knew it before it was number one. We'd already been playing it for months before it was number one. So we would try to stay creative in that sense where we didn't have to load out and do all that stuff. But I was itching to get away from that. I was dying to get out of that situation. I wanted to tour. I wanted to, because I would hear all these other guys, these road bands coming down like, oh yeah, man, we were just in, you know, Fresno and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, man, I would, and they're like, no, man, she don't even know how good you've got it staying here. Well, there's also the fact of you're not making as much money as these guys that are touring. Of course, they got more overhead, more expensive, but, but we weren't, we weren't killing it financially. So I would drive a limo during the day. Of course, I had all day to do everything. I mean, I was playing from eight to one back then. So I drive limo, I work horses, I, I do just all these different things because I had the whole day to do it. And also to to make up for the fact that I wasn't killing it financially. I mean, yeah, I had a house gig, but also, you know, it was just wasn't uh wasn't paying like a like I could go out and book out another gig and make double the money. But the guy at the, the venue was like, Well, I can't have you miss out of the house band. I can't have you take off a day just whenever you want. So I missed out on that kind of opportunity. But the the setting up and tearing down thing and the driving to the gigs and like you said, a lot of, a lot of people don't realize we spent 14 hours in a van or whatever, you know, with five guys, got to stop pee, you got to, you know, stop, grab something to eat, switch drivers. When you get there to load in, everybody's tired because you just drove 14 hours. You know, it's all these kind of things that, that go into, uh, um, 
But then when you, when, when you get back home, you, you take it all in, you go like, you know what? That went a lot smoother than it could have gone and, and we didn't break down. And so I've taken a lot of those kind of things into consideration when I, when I am thinking of how can I make the next gig better? So that's where my creative part comes out of that is like, okay, I need to plan this part of it better or I need to do loading at this time or whatever, you know, stuff like that. So I, I never stopped trying to learn from, from each little thing. And like you say, you know, we're two in the morning, three in the morning, you're driving home and you're trying to keep your eyes open. And then boom, maybe an idea hits you or something. I mean, you just, <laughs> but if you were like, if you're at home sleeping, that idea, whatever it came to, you know, and, no. or you would have never met that person or you'd never would have got to hear that dude play with you. And, and now you've got another guy that, man, I can call this guy now, you know, and, and uh, whenever the so-and-so can't make it, I got another guy I can go and, and, or you go, I ain't never bringing that dude out again. You know <laughs> I mean? So it takes all that to, to, to know where you want to be at too, to, um, for the next thing to be better, you know? So, yeah. Well, all those experiences inform who you are and how you do it and where you do it and why you do it. Sure. And without those experiences, and, you just don't have. And that can also be negative. That's what, you know, mm -hmm. you can also see these people that are really bitter or have a, you know, a grudge or it could also be from that same thing it has a positive and negative effect. You know, some guys will be like, man, I toured and I did this and that and I just, you know, it didn't work out for them. So they're, they don't want to go on the road or whatever, you know? So that's, you know, everybody learns how they're, their path is going to be, I think, from from doing it, you know. And if you don't do it, you're not going to know. Well, you learn as much about what to do as what not to do. Exactly. You oh, man. You, you see, Mark and I both have experience with that. You, yeah. You see somebody and you think, man, I'm I'm going to use that. That's good. And then you see them treat a customer or a client yep. or a, a bar owner or whatever, and you think, oh, dude, I'm never doing that. That's just so true. That is so true. That has happened a lot in in my experiences. Like like, like I said, even just with taking a guy you know, on a trip or something. And they, and they go like, Oh, I don't know how to drive or, or I need this or whatever. And I go, okay, not a team player. Or like you said, if, you know, I took a drummer one time and, and he just was so rude and obnoxious to people. I was like, Hey man, you're, this is reflecting on me. And they're going to be like, Oh, well, and it does, you, you, you know, a lot of people don't think about that little kind of stuff, but it does. They go like, Oh, you mean, oh is that the guy that came and his band was really rude or whatever, whether you were or not. You know, I mean, the same way with, with one of you guys, if you go do a shoot and one of you is in a bad mood and, you know, you make one of the clients mad and they go, oh, is that that guy that came with that angry day? You know, I mean, it's the same thing, I guess, but I'm always, I'm always getting reminded of what not to do. Trust me. Oh, plenty of examples. <laughs> Stop doing that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, you know how you did that thing? Yeah. Don't do that. Don't do Ouch. <laughs> yeah. It's never ending for me. Of course I've, I've um, got a big mouth and I'm, you know, <laughs> offensive they say, so. Yeah, but things bounce off of you too. It's like um, you don't you're serious about what you do, but you don't take yourself too seriously. No, not at all. And and you know I've been labeled the Don Rickles of country music because I'm I'm uh, kind of like an insult comic, so it, it comes in handy for downtown making tips. Um, and and I know when not to do it at certain you know like a, if I play a wedding or something like that. Obviously, I, I pull it back a notch. But but um, yeah, it's it, and and you never know who's got a sense of humor or don't. So that's the hardest part, you know. And um. It, you know, and anybody can just stand there and sing. And so I try to bring a little bit of comedy, a little bit of fun to it, you know, and I, I definitely don't take myself serious at all. Well, read, you know, reading the room is a, is a component of, yeah. of bringing people into your world. If sure. they're all on their phones or whatever, just being able to read the room is a, a skill set that I think a lot of people don't have and you read it wrong or you don't even bother to try to read it. You just do your thing and go home. Right. And, you know, you're, you're not going to be as successful that way if you can't read the room. A big part of that for me was learning how to read a room was, was playing the dance halls. If they weren't dancing, 
Like if you got a, dance, a full dance floor, that's your applause. You don't need applause. You don't want to hear applause. You want to start the next song before they leave the dance floor. So uh, reading the crowd for me was, uh, okay, they're not dancing to this tonight. Or, well, they, all want, they want slow songs all night. That's what we're going to give them. You know, even though some people might get bored of that. But, yeah, that's that's how I learned to read a crowd is is by uh, people's reactions to the song. Yeah, I mean. They have dance halls in Arizona, too? Yeah, that's uh, it, like dance clubs. I mean, they're not like a, like Texas has, like, you know, um, just basically big barns, you know, where yeah. people come dance. But, yeah, it was it? Uh, but but everybody back then, like in the 90s when I grew up that, that decade, and even in the early 80s, like with the Urban Cowboy stuff, you know, it's like everybody went out to dance. And the weird thing about, like, downtown Broadway people who come there don't even know how to dance most of them and if they do it's it's it's, it's the music ain't based on that it's more of an entertainment aspect and like you said it's it's almost background music for some to to drink to and have a good time for a bachelorette party or something but man i try to i try to make them have i try to make them notice us and not forget us whether that's good or bad they might get mad if i say a joke but they'll never forget me <laughs> we've seen so many of and i'm sure you've been there too like even when you're transitioning from one band to another or and no one's paying attention. It's just brutal. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's it. What I mean, I guess it's paying your dues, right? Yeah. I, yeah. But and and it, it also a good challenge is, you know, you might be after a band that was really good. Oh yeah. And, and then the crowd, the crowd's kind of hanging out. It's like, Hey, who's these guys? And then you start a song and they're just going, you can see their face like, uh, they but then they look at their watch. Yeah. They're like, okay, next bar. You know, yeah. you're like, Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I'll play a song. you like, maybe, <laughs> but you know, I always start my shows off. Uh, um, Usually I'm the, like, a, I play like a lot of daytime slots. So I'm the first guy to start off the day with. So I don't have to worry about following per se anybody, but I always start my shows off or in the middle. I'll say, Hey, if you got thin skin or no sense of humor, this would be a great time to go across the street or whatever and bring me back a beer, you know, or something. I just try yeah. to make it funny, but, but people like, they go, Oh, and then, so I set it up with that. So that way, when I start picking on them, whatever they, they have an idea like, Oh, okay. He's just kidding around with us or whatever. But yeah, you know, and then. I've seen other people come in after us and they're like a full crowd. They're like, hurry up, get your crap off stage so we can keep some of these people. And I was like, Hey, don't worry. They're going to leave. You, know? <laughs> you don't have what I have. Sir. Yeah, that's right. Don't you know who I am? <laughs> I don't think I am. I'm going home at 8 PM. <laughs> don't you know who I am? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll be in bed while you're barely getting drunk. <laughs> yeah. I was, again, I was just thinking about, about the load in and, um, and a lot of times, you know, you, you can tell, if a musician or in our case, a photographer, when you watch somebody set up, when you watch, when you watch a, a band set up their instruments or you watch a photographer set up their set, you know, you can tell how much experience they oh, have. Yeah. Behind them. That's a, that's a big thing to be said for sound guys, sound engineers. Yeah. But you, when you, when, you know, when, when, when guys come in and they're setting, last night. they're setting up their pedal and they're setting up their mic stand and they just, they just, it's like, there's an efficiency and, yeah. and they're, and you know, it's, um, like they know where they want to set up. They know, they, they know exactly yeah. what they're doing. Mm-hmm. It's almost like no one's watching them, but a couple of people are watching them. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like a little performance just for those people. You know, when you're setting up your, yeah. your, when we're setting up our photo gear, when I'm setting up my photo gear, I might have an assistant helping me and I'm, maybe I'm in an office building or something. Someone is watching me yep. do that. And I know that that person is watching me do that. And that that's a little test that I have to pass, you know, so that they'll know, okay, this guy's legit. He knows what he's doing. And most know? of the time it's the client. 
can that's, be. That's watching you. Can be you the know. security guard. Yeah. Can be secretary. Secretary. Yeah. Receptionist. Yes, absolutely. It's yeah. a little dog and pony show too because we a lot of the stuff we pack is uh, packs down pretty small. So when we blow it out onto a onto a set, it's like all that stuff came out of those three boxes. Uh, yeah, you know? yeah. Like yeah, all that stuff, and that's not even a scratch in the den of what we've got. Yeah, we've got a ton of stuff. Like if we, you know, when we were working on our film, we bring a ton of equipment. Oh, I bet. Yeah, you and know? it's and just watching you, like when you, you know, um, for those that don't know, uh, Chris shot a video. He shot me. He shot a video <laughs> of me for uh, one of my songs, "Whiskey for Two. and even amongst. I'll go, you know, two professionals, like you're professional at your job and I try to be at mine. Like you're saying, Mark, um, somebody's watching and and I would just, I was watching Chris, like, you know, when we got there, he's, he's, he's doing this, looking, you know, at shadows and looking, you know, and where camera placement and just all the stuff. And I was like, I got the guy, I got the right guy, you know, cause I, already, I, I, I told him, I said, look, I've got a few ideas, but that don't mean they're right. You know? And, and that's, what's funny is a lot of people will think, well, this is the way I want it done. And it's like, but, but, but no, this is what I do for a living. So this is how it should be done. So, you know, so it's cool to see somebody like you're saying, I was the guy watching Chris that day, like, you know, his setup and all that. I'm going, yeah. You know, I was like, this is, this is, I made a good choice. You know, I was, this is right. Definitely right about to go. And it's the same way, like you say with musicians, you see somebody and they come in, they load and you're like, Oh no, this is gonna, (laughs) I can just tell this is going to be a long night. (laughs) We'll we'll put a link to that video in the show notes. Oh yeah. Awesome. Man, it came out so good. God, it's so good. Love it. We love, yeah, we, we love shooting that. That was, we shot that during the pandemic, but we shot it in a, at Nashville Crossroads with, with nobody in there. Right. And it was great. Dude, we, that just worked out so good. And yeah. And the, uh, it's not gorgeous. to give it away, but the other, the other location was great too. Without, yes. Without giving the end. Yeah. Away. We won't give it away, <laughs> but you got, you got to watch the video to get the other location. For, yeah. I have yeah. so many friends that, that, that just haven't watched it or whatever. They haven't watched it to the end. And then they finally, I'll put up, you know, I'll, I'll put the link up again and then be like, oh my God, I had no idea. You know, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> yeah, that's the old creativity machine right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, that project ended up being important for us because that was a little bit of a test for a, a crew member on that video shoot um, who actually ended up being a, an, playing an important role on the film we're making. So cool. it's, a, it's a good example of how, you know, you, it might just seem like a job you're being hired for, but People are watching. Oh People yeah, are watching. It's like I doing. said, if I take a drummer out and then I go, oh, I'll never use him again, or or hey, I just got a new guy that I'll use all the time now. It's the same thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is great because, like I said, if you don't if you don't do that stuff, then you'll never find it. You'll work with the same guys. You get stagnant. You get stuck. Yeah, you get stuck, and that's one of the hardest things musically or artistically, creatively. That's hard to get in a rut because. It's almost like when people get a, when their golf swing is they what they call it, you know, they get the shanks and they don't know how to get out of it. Yep. It's just, it's, it's the same thing. It's like, yeah. how do I get out of this thing? And I've, you know, that's, that's I've, I've been in a slump. There's times where I'm like, I don't even want to pick up a guitar or whatever. And then I go, man, I miss it. Cause it's just part of me. So I have to, I'll just sit down and even if I come up with a melody or not, you know, it's at least I, I got that tool in my hand, you know, after you, I mean, in, in the past, I know you've been in slumps. I've been in slumps. Everybody's been in a slump, but you know, when you look back on those times, you know, what, what has happened to cause you to go into a slump? Like what kinds of things really, you know, caused that to happen? Honestly, it's a lack of work. I mean, if we don't have gigs, what's there to be creative for? You know, you kind of go in your mind like, well, like this whole last year, that's why I, you know, I was doing the Facebook lives or doing like, you know, these little um, videos um, for, you know, serenades for people or whatever I could think of. Cause 
when you don't have work coming in, I mean, a painter paints to paint, but they still got to, if they don't sell, sell a painting, you know, <laughs> it's like still got to pay the bills, you know? And that's kind of what, what you guys and what I, what I do is still bases our, our, our incomes are based on that. So if there's nobody calling, going and, and like when I first got to Nashville, I, I had an artist gig, but they weren't working very much. And so I'm like, well, what am I going to do? I wasn't working on Broadway yet. And you get into a thing where like, well, I guess I got to get a day job for a while. And, and, and then you, your mind just veers off onto that. You get focused on that. And then by the time you get home, you're too tired to be creative. And then you're like, well, nobody's calling me anyway. So, or, you know, I don't have a gig to go to anyway. So I think from, yeah, I think for me, the answer would be just the lack of, of work or the lack of the, the need to be creative. You know, if there's not a, if there's not a reason to be, you know, then, then it kind of goes away. I think a little bit like, you know, the whole use it or lose it thing. I mean, I guess, I don't, I don't know. I find that after it takes me, you know, <clears throat> sometimes a week to two weeks before I, if I kind of get into a slump where I'm just not, I'm tooting my head's down that I'm sort of doing paperwork and just things that aren't mm -hmm. creative. It takes me a week or two before I realize, man, I, I really got to shoot something, anything. Yeah. yeah. I've just got to find something to shoot, find somebody to shoot. Who can I invite over to do yeah. photography, video, something? Right. Something you know? to do with the, the part, the passionate part of it. Yeah. And it's like, you know, that the, the, with the Facebook live thing, I hate, going, hate to keep going back to that. But the, honestly, that's what's got me through the last year is, you know, like this week I told my wife, I said, oh man, I haven't gone live this week. She's like, oh, I don't know. And it ain't so much for the tips. It's like, I just, it's an outlet. I, it's like, I've got to sing, <laughs> you know? So luckily I had a little thing last night. We did Mount Juliet for the, um, the, um, it's like a, they had a memorial thing for the, couple of people that had passed away during the tornado last year. And then today was the, the first, you know, anniversary of it. And so I had just written a song with this girl that was, uh, Sheree Hefner. She was like right in the, the wake of it, you know, and then they came out, their house just had a few windows broke the snap, but their neighbor was like, you know, they lost everything. So we got together and we wrote a song for her. It was therapeutic, but they asked us to play it last night. And I'm like, cool, I get to go out and play a little bit, you know, even if it's for one song. So I was happy to go do it, you know, just to have that, chance to go play, you know? So that's why I haven't gone live this week. Cause I, I've been playing and writing. So, but, uh, yeah, if you don't, if you don't have something there, you just start going stir crazy, you know, and whew, my wife don't want me to go stir crazy. I'll tell you that. Right now. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about songwriting. So you wrote a song with this young lady and how often do you write by yourself and how often do you co-write and do you get the same creative juice flow out of creating a song versus creating an, a, experience at a show two different things i assume uh, it it kind of is it's kind of like two different highs if you if you will um at a show um i don't want to say that i'm cocky or maybe it's just confident like i know that if i'm gonna go play i'm gonna entertain somebody it might not be everybody but i know that i'm gonna entertain somebody if, and i don't ever feel like i left hardly ever feel like I left like, man, I just didn't have the crowd at all. Cause I will do something to make that crowd know me. So I always feel kind of like complete. If you want to say songwriting, I'm still, I still never consider myself a songwriter, even though I've written some songs that I really, really love. And I feel like I accomplished a good song there. I don't feel like, like when I go into a songwriting session, I don't always feel that confidence. I don't always feel like, Oh, I'm going to write a good one today. And I don't think that I do it enough to, to feel that way or I have written enough good ones to, to uh, feel that way. But lately, whenever I get together with somebody, we usually write a good tune. And half of that is just, um, to me, to me, it's being friends or just knowing that person. Cause I could never do the publishing thing where they, you know, in Nashville, they, they, they hook you up with, Oh, 
oh, so and so's on this on the publishing thing too. So you guys got to write next Monday, and then you you sit down, and you go, hey, nice to meet you. Where are you from? And you spend two hours trying to get to know that person. Like, well, what do you want to write about today? Today, well, uh, I like to fish. Okay, let's write about you know driving the truck down to the water hole and stuff. And so then you just I don't I don't I just never could do that. I never got any quality out of that. So, and I've tried it. I've tried doing that, and I just don't ever feel like. And then, you know, one guy will say a line and then you'll go like, mm, and then you'll say a line. They go, mm. so you never get that magic. So I guess to answer your question, when, when I get together with people, it's almost like I have to know them or I already have some kind of background of them or know where they're coming from as far as a songwriting stance too. Cause like when I get together, my buddy, Dave Smith, who, who's produced most of my stuff lately, we're just on the same wavelength. We've got the same kind of like sense of humor. We've got like little, you know, the, the, the little kind of quick-witted kind of stuff. And and so we know when we sit down, it's going to be a fun song or a good song, but maybe with a little funny line or whatever. So I know what to expect there. I try to write stuff on myself, but I find it um, sometimes it's very hard for me uh, to, uh, I don't know why, but if I think about personal stuff, I don't know how to write about it versus like, like another friend of mine, Ray Scott. His last two albums have been very, very personal, but the way he's written it, it's like, dang, it feels like that. Did you write that about me? You know, I don't know how to do that as far as, because people tell me all the time, you need to write about your stuff. You know, I'm like, I don't know how to do that without it just being like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. How to, I don't know. But so I, I honestly, I feel comfortable co-writing. I feel more comfortable co-writing than I do writing by myself. I guess it's just because I need to go, I need to have that, hey, what do you think of this line? And for somebody to say, yeah. Or that validation or, or to say, no, that's terrible. Then I go, okay. You know, so if you're doing that by yourself, you don't have anybody to say, no, that line's not good. You know, until you, right. and if they do, then you go like, well, you just co-wrote that with me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's half. So you get half of that penny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Half the penny. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> that's a whole nother thing, man. It literally one spin on a, if you stream something and I tell people this all the time and I, and it just has a joke, but at the same time, it's, it's funny cause it's true. If you stream a song, we literally get like, um, um, a 10th of a penny for that. So it's like 0. 0.005 or something like that for a stream is what we get. So a, a million, a million stream award is worth what? 50 grand. I don't know. I don't. Five thousand. Like, yeah, I don't like. Yeah, it's it's nothing. Probably five. Yeah, it's nothing because by the time you and then to promote it, to promote streaming, is is brutal. And it's just like my podcast is like you know, you try to post a link on Facebook and they hide it because they don't want any outside entities you know making mm -hmm. money off of what they're not you know. So if you put a if, let's just say I upload a song to YouTube and then I put the YouTube link on on Facebook, it'll get six likes. And then if I put a picture of my new truck that I just got or went deer hunting or whatever, you know, 400 likes because it's not an outside, you know, thing. So you got to put all the money into to promoting the streaming. And then by the time we get the streaming back, it just evens out, you know, so there's no really profit there, which I don't know. They say it's a tool that you have to do to, to reach people, you know, and maybe so. I don't know. Well, touring is where the money will be eventually, yeah, right? Yeah. That's where, you, that's where you'll get it back. Merch and the touring is, is the the income part, but there's still, as far as the creative creativity part, there's still no place to, to be as far as in the studio, making the stuff that's going to be streamed. That that's the man, that is just so fun. It is so fun to create in the studio. That's, that's my favorite thing to do. I mean, I love playing live shows, but to create something that you know is going to be there forever. It's just, it's a, it's a cool thing. 
and the, the collaboration I imagine in the studio is a huge component. It's not just mm -hmm. you going in by yourself. What's fun about it is you got the band there. You've yeah. got this special guest that's coming in for this day and they're going to bring the things that they bring. Right. And that's going to merge and mix with what you're doing and you're going to create something that's never been heard before, right. you know, never, never been in the it's universe. It's total before. creation from nothing. I mean, it, it's, it's so different from playing live and there's two different worlds and there's actually, as far as the players go and, and stuff like that, it's also two different worlds. Cause there's some guys that can play live like crazy and you put them in a studio and they just don't, they don't know what to do. And, and, and then it's the kind of the way around guys that have been stuck playing in the studio for so long, they go play live and it's like, uh, where's my headphones or, you know, whatever, you know, they get like, Oh, I can play and not have to be a structure. You're like, yeah, play whatever you want. And I go, Oh, well, you know, but, but what's yeah, your favorite that, part about, uh, recording and creating in the studio do you have a favorite part about that just knowing that um like this is my idea this is my idea that that's coming to fruition and, and it's gonna be and then you can hear it back over and over and over again you know especially like during the editing process like you guys you have to watch something over and over and by the time you get it done edited you're like i'm good with this one for a while i can move on for a little bit and work on something new it's the same way with songs you know but I think that's the, that's the, the coolest thing to me is, is I go, all right, I had this idea that just grew up in my brain somewhere and we're going to record it and it's going to be there for forever. And it, some people will enjoy it. Maybe, you know, that's the coolest thing is, Hey, maybe somebody else, this will be cool for them. You know? So hearing you describe the, the kind of excitement of studio day, uh, recording is very similar to what we do when we're, when we're shooting or mm -hmm. when we're oh, like, shooting sure. our film the days that we get to be on set actually laying down the tracks. Yeah. As it were, you know, yeah, those are the fun days. Sure. And all the prep and all the writing and all the stuff to that is really just a means to get to the, to the shoot day. Yeah. And it's so gratifying when you get it all done. And then like you, like I said, you know, somebody will be like, man, that was great. And okay, man, it's like a pat on the back, but still just the, the creating of it, the whole building of it was that's the part, you know, that people don't realize that, that that's what we love, you know, to do, you know, <laughs> I understand the joy of performing on the road. I think um, I've been on enough tour buses with artists. Yeah. If you don't enjoy it, it can become a grind. Oh, it right? definitely. If, it, if you look at it as a job, it's definitely a job. Yeah. But I mean, if, especially if you've got 250 dates out of a year. Yeah. And you're that's, gone. That's yeah. just the grind. But it's a lot of fun. I, I, I mean, I enjoy my little three and four dates out with an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a lot of fun. And oh man, I've I've gotten to see so many amazing places working with the guys that I work for. Um, because I mostly tour with them. I, I I tour with you know artists more than I do as as my own on my own thing. But getting to do that on my own thing too is 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 cool. It's a lot more responsibility. But man, I've got you know Mount Rushmore. I've gone to Iraq. You know, I've I've seen. You know, I've been to Italy. You know, like I've just seen so many places. And then, then a lot of times you feel guilty because like, gosh, dang, I wish my family was here with me or my wife was here with me. You know, and and. uh like, well, that's the place to go visit later, you know, when, when, you know, when you can. So you've been out with uh, Daryl Singletary, Craig Morgan, Aaron Teppen, Neil McCoy. Who else? Uh, Daryl Worley. Uh, who else is out? I did a couple things with Trent Women. He's a, he's a cool dude. Mm -hmm. That was fun music to play because it's cowboy music, you know. And um, I did a couple things with um, Kevin Sharp, and he was actually one of my favorite guys. He was a really cool dude. I played a cruise with him, and then we did a, we wrote a couple songs together in, um, I think we did a little acoustic thing, so wasn't actually like you know on their payroll or anything, but but did a few, you know worked with them a few times. So been really really. I I just think it back, and I, I was telling my wife the other day. I said it's so crazy because um, 
somebody had texted me or something for my birthday, Mark Wills or somebody. And, and I was like, man, back in the nineties when I had that house gig, I never in the world would have thought that I would be friends with like, you know, I could call up Ricky Lee Phelps from the headhunters and be like, Hey, I got a flat tire. And he'd be right there. You know, I just, <laughs> it blows my mind, man. Cause I just never, I, I just never would have thought I'd be in this circle, you know, that I'm in now. And it's really, really cool. It's really, really cool. Very grateful for that. That is a good segue into one of the last things we like to do before we wrap up, which is mm-hmm. we like to ask our uh, our guests, and then we'll go after. You get to go first, but okay. uh, what was your most recent impulse buy? Well, impulse, I don't know if it was an impulse, more of an impulse than a need, but I definitely um, overshot my probably financial boundary. <laughs> but I just, <laughs> I just bought a big jacked up uh, Toyota Tundra truck because my other vehicle uh, was just giving me so much trouble. You know, I just... So I, 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 it was kind of impulse because I was like, I'm not, I got out of this, my other truck out of the shop. I said, I'm not going to deal with this anymore. And I just jumped up one day and I saw this truck sitting in a lot. So I guess that would be an impulse buy, even though it was a necessity, but, uh, that definitely was it. And then, um, some of the accessories that go with it, I, I <laughs> impulsed on Amazon. It's pretty hard. You impulse the shit out of some Amazon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I still got stuff coming in today. I got some floor mess. I'm like, yes, it's like Christmas, man. When you get Amazon stuff. I know, and I, I same deal. I bought my truck, and it's like all of a sudden boxes start showing up at your house. Yeah. With stuff you got to attach to the truck. I'm always saying to my wife, "What did you get now?" Amazon's always like pulling up. <laughs> it's like, "What did you get now?" But yeah, so yeah, that truck, man, it was uh, definitely an impulse. But I'm really happy with it. I just hope I can afford to keep it now. <laughs> uh, my my most recent impulse buy. I have kind of a pocket knife problem. Oh, really? Collect yeah, them? Yeah, huh? yeah. And I just bought another one. Uh, just bought one the other day off of eBay. I was just sc- scrolling around eBay and, and wasn't looking for, I know, that's, right? That's what happens in downtime. It's always, <laughs> it's always innocent. I, I was just, yeah. yeah, I was just doing this. I love how I'll get on, on YouTube or something and, and then uh, I'll be watching a video and then an ad pops up. And I'm like, hey, that's cool. I'll get on Amazon. Next thing you know, I'm looking at things that are 10 yeah. times down the road from what I got on there for. <laughs> well, luckily that li- well, luckily that knife was super cheap. Yeah, not so much. <laughs> Don't tell my wife. <laughs> so are you talking pocket knives like the folded <clears throat> kind yeah, or stuff yeah. you not the kind you wear in your belt? Folding. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, I uh I've got a cool couple of cool knives that a, a buddy of mine forged or what do you what do you call them? You know, made himself, whatever that are they're not pocket knives, so they're I don't know, what do you call them? Buck knives? Fixed blade. Yeah, yeah, fixed blade, but they're really cool. But you'd probably like to see those, but that's not another hobby you need to get into. You stick with collector or the pocket yeah. knives. <laughs> Mark, what was your most recent? Oh, I popped onto Amazon to buy a, a book by um, by David Eagleman that one of our other podcast guests had had recommended, and and I did. Uh, so it wasn't that that wasn't so much the impulse buy, but it was the three other books by him <laughs> that I also bought. And I'm like, well, that looks good too. Oh, that looks good too. Yep, yep. And uh, so, do you think that, that that doing that kind of stuff to like uh, is part of our how our creative works? Like, you know. Like we get online at night and because we don't have like a shoot to work on or a song to work on or something, you think that void kind of gets filled by us doing kind of impulse buying stuff like that? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think, um, I think that creativity when it's most effective depends on a lot of input and from a lot of variety of sources. And you touched on it earlier when you're talking about all the, all the music that influenced you growing up and it Mm -hmm. was, you obviously loved all kinds of music. And so um, all of that music 
has made its way into your musical DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And, and when you're idle, when, especially when your mind is idle, yeah. I think we seek out some sort of input to stimulate that and also to add to the collection of knowledge that we already have. Because, yeah. you know, it's funny you say that, that when you're saying your mind is idle and my wife always says, your mind's never idle. I said, okay, picture a truck being, uh, being in park, but not so much idling, but it's being revved up to about 6,000 RPM. I said, that's my mind all the time. You know, and she's like, yeah, that's more like idle for you. <laughs> you drop it in gear and you're in the lake. Oh man, you accident. drop it in gear and it goes to your rear end. You know, it's like, it's <laughs> gone. The differentials on the lane on the ground. Definitely. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's a huge component. I think so. Because, you know, there's times where like, you know, in the middle of the night and I either finished working on, you know, laying a track down or, or whatever. And I'm like, I'm just going to chill for a second. And then I, next thing you know, I'm buying something. <laughs> not that I can afford it, but even if something little, but you know, it's kind of funny. Like, you know, say you, say you buy a knife and then you, you're checking that knife out. And next thing you know, a, an idea for a video comes, it's the same way with me. And I, even a song could come out of this truck that I just bought. I mean, it's so, you know, I'm loving it so much. So, Hey, maybe it all goes hand in hand somewhere down the line. This truck is going to take you places <laughs> that you would not have been able to go in the other. There's truck. the hook right there. That's right. There's the hook. This <laughs> truck's going to take me places. Hopefully not to my mechanic because he's tired of seeing me. Yeah. <laughs> so online, we can find you on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And all three of those are Vince Moreno Music, right? Yeah. Um, I see Instagram is at Vince Moreno Music. And then if you type on Facebook, Vince Moreno Music. Yeah, I should put my, my artist page up. And then uh, I'm on Twitter too, but. I don't know. I just never got the Twitter thing. So I, I'm with you on that. I never understood the, that. So, but I mean, I have an account cause you know, they say, Oh, you gotta, you gotta have everything. And on, on Twitter, I'm Venmo music. Cause you don't allow the whole word there. But, um, but if you just go to Vince Moreno.net, uh, my website has all the links there and, you know, people can go to whatever social. Man, we want to thank you so much for coming today oh, and man. hanging honor. out with us and chatting a little bit and, We'd also like to thank NOSI College of Art for making this episode possible. We also want to say thank you to all of the incredible people who have found this show online and are listening. And we would love to hear from you, whether you are in Ecuador or France or Huff, Ohio, or right in our own backyard here in Nashville, Tennessee. So please, if you have questions or comments for Chris or me, send them to us at creativity at penumbra-ent.com. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Also, please follow Penumbra Entertainment on social media. On Facebook and Instagram, we are at Penumbra Films. And while you're at it, make your way over to our website, penumbra-ent.com, for the show notes for this episode and also the bonus material that we've mentioned. We'll see you on the next episode of Creativity in Motion podcast. Meanwhile, don't forget, sometimes inspiration comes when you least expect it.